All right, here we go. Welcome to office hours for July 26th. Uh, Peter's on vacation this week, so it's just me talking to our guest today, Jessica Walker-McFarland of Splunk. Thanks for joining me, Jess. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, it's a busy summer, so I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you've been traveling as well, but I think you've got some um, really great uh, things to share with our audience today. Uh, if you have questions for Jessica as we're going through things, feel free to drop those into the questions and answers, uh, or go ahead and put those into the chat on the side if you're with us live on Crowdcast today. I've also dropped in a link to Jessica's profile there if you want to learn more about her or even uh, reach out and connect. But uh, let's start off with, you know, the, the question we do with many people here is, you know, so you find yourself in a global leadership role for partner marketing at Splunk. How did you get started working with channel partners? It's a great question, Mike. Thanks. And I, it's really interesting. I've always been working with partners throughout my entire career. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got started and, and what that means. So if I think back to my very first job <laughs> that I had as a 22-year-old fresh out of college, um, my job was answering uh, phone calls from the press in the war room at, uh, on the compact campus at the time. So that's going to date me a little bit. Um, but it was right after the HP compact acquisition on that front. So there's two things that I learned from that. So I started my career in PR and then in media relations and doing a lot of work with executive communications. Um, but there's two things I learned from, from working the war room on my, basically my first day of my career straight out of college. And that's that when the, the, your leadership will call you. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, be prepared for that. But take a breath, pick it up, and then be, you can be ready. And then the other thing I learned is that when you see one, 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 call up here on the phone, that's the New York Times. So you also answer that phone call. <laughs> um, but a lot of the, the questions and, and things that we came in actually had to, to do with the, the partner community and partner ecosystem and what did that mean. Um, and then I kind of moved, decided, you know, agency life was great, but I was really interested in kind of going in-house. So I was living in Houston at the time, moved over to BNC Software, where I was for nine and a half years, and uh, did communications there, both from a product perspective as well as exec comms. And then during that time, I was also the, uh, the media relations person for their, uh, their channel program as well. So that's really where I started to, to truly get entrenched in it and worked really closely with, um, with our uh, partner leadership at BNC Software, just done um, press interviews and, and, and messaging and a lot of that stuff as well. So that's where I got entrenched and um, yeah, eventually found my way over into to field marketing, which um, after, so after a, an expat assignment in uh, Sydney, Australia, where I was for three years running communications for, uh, for Asia Pacific, um, found my way over to, to field marketing, which was, again, where I kind of got another aspect of, of working with partners in the community there. So, um, you know, getting that kind of international flavor and then being in a place where there is a lot of business that was transacted indirectly. And so working with partners on various events and demand generation activities in the, um, over, in, over in APAC was, was great. Moved back. Um, still in, in a field marketing role, um, again, 
And then specifically once I moved back, uh, really started to, to just dedicate time into our partner community on that front. So I uh, got into the, the real thick of it with, uh, with channel marketing there. And I was at BMC for nine and a half years. And now um, I'm at Swamp where I've been for the last three years as the director of global partner marketing. Yeah, so quite a journey and, you know, a lot of different roles at BMC, but I know you did mention there that you spent some time in Sydney. And so, you know, living in Houston, uh, I've been in Houston in the summertime, like right now, it's really quite hot in Houston, but... Um, warm, warm is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how did this opportunity to go live in Sydney come up? You know, you're already at BMC and kind of working, uh, you know, uh, doing the PR stuff that you were doing. What happened next? Where did you get that opportunity, or how did you end up in Sydney? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I had always known that I wanted an opportunity to, to live and to work abroad, and it's something that I had expressed to my manager at the time um, and stated it. You know, this is something I have a goal of it. If an opportunity ever presented itself, I would, I would love to take advantage of it. And so it really wasn't that long after... Uh, after I had mentioned that and kind of we started working on what that development plan would look like and um, you know as I tell the story if you're sitting in Houston at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon and somebody calls you and says would you like to go run Asia Pac comms and live in Sydney Australia just as a general rule of thumb you don't say no you go you just ask them to book you a ticket you worry about the logistics later and you go um, live in Sydney for a while. <laughs> Now, yeah, the logistics later, like, did you say yes on the phone to that opportunity before you talked to your husband about it? I might have, um, which I'd been married for about six months at the time, so, uh, so I think I said yes before actually, uh, before talking to him, but we had talked about it before, um, just that we were both open to a, uh, to an international assignment, but, um, for, for, all of the, for all of you who are married out there or in relationships, um, ask your spouse before you commit to an international assignment. <laughs> or don't, because that could be a, a memorable moment. If you, <laughs> it depends on what your goals are for your relationship. But, well, you no, know, it was, sounds like he was a good sport, and, and obviously you guys had talked about the opportunity to go international. And, you, you know, as far as places to go, Sydney's a pretty great place to get an assignment, right? Yeah, no, I, it was it was perfect for us, um, and and yeah, so we uh, we both you know moved over there for, for different opportunities. So my husband did work while we were over there, um, but yeah, Sydney's a great place to go. It's got the beaches, it's got the the culture, the lifestyle. It's you know it it it's really pretty pretty optimal, and and it's still to this day my my favorite my favorite city in the world. And I've been to a lot of cities. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think also the uh, for many of us who work for software companies or tech companies here in the U.S. that are based here, uh, you know, we always think about North America being the center of the universe. And for a lot of companies, a lot of their revenue comes from this this uh, geography. Um, but Europe is a big growth market for a lot of countries. Latin America as well is a big growth. And I know that one of your roles that you were doing at BMC, you were looking after North and South America. And obviously, you're in a global position today. But if people are thinking about wanting to get more global experience in their roles or to actually relocate and work outside of the U.S., any advice uh, for them about how to think about the rest of the world or doing business globally? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is, it's, a, it's a really big world out there. And 
Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mike, when you said that North America can often seem like the, the center of the universe, especially when you're working for a company that is headquartered and based out of North America. So the one thing that, that I really took away from my experience living overseas um, in Australia and, and supporting APAP, so, so getting the opportunity to work with a, a lot of the, the, the Asian countries and cultures, um, that things are done very differently. Um, and respecting that and understanding and thinking with a global lens can go a long way. And so even if it's something just as simple as scheduling calls in a time zone that's or at a time that's friendly. I mean, I, I've done them myself. It's not amazing to wake up at 2 a.m. and, and try to attend a, a conference call. It's, you're, you're not your best self, and frankly, you're probably not going to do it. <laughs> um, but something as simple as that can, can be really important. And then just really kind of thinking globally and, and understanding the resources that you have. So the other thing that I found when I was living overseas is we, I had a great relationship with, with folks at corporate, and you know, coming from corporate, I think that was, was, was great. It was a benefit that, that I had there, and I maintained that connection back, so there was nothing that was going, whoa, but you often don't have the same resources that you have as you do in corporate, and I actually found that that can sometimes be used to your advantage. And because you were, we had to think outside of the box, and we could do things a little bit differently. And we were given the freedom to experiment and try new things, and um, just kind of run new programs, and almost become a, a test bed and a pilot. And so some of the things that, that we had started just in in APAC and in, and in Australia tended to be good programs that were expanded in other regions as well. So. Kind of thinking about that and then looking at what can often be seen as, as a disadvantage, but looking at to looking at it as an advantage, I think is um, is something that's important. And so it's you know one of the I would say the move to Australia was probably the biggest um, influence in my career, um, both as well and personally as well, um, but professionally. So I think I found stepping outside of that comfort zone and, and taking that risk and just saying yes to, uh, to an international assignment, to, to, to being there, committing to being there for, for three years was, was probably the most influential thing that, that I could have done. It's really yeah. shaped how I, it shaped the decisions that I've made. Well, I think there's two recommendations that I would make to people um, because you and I have done some, some similar things. I didn't live abroad, but I took a global role and traveled a bunch for it is that, um, I think that you have you build a stronger career for the long term for yourself if you have both corporate and field jobs. So I think if you're in a corporate job and you have an opportunity to do kind of a rotation in the field, that's always a good thing. Or if you've been in the field and you can do the corporate thing, it's good to have both experiences. And then it is good to have that international. And when I say international as a guy sitting in the U.S., I mean outside of the U.S. For people who sit in Europe, obviously, who are watching us, they're like, no kidding, we're international every day because especially in a place like Europe with so many different countries and cultures and issues. Uh, but I think that having a uh, more than a U.S. perspective on a business and, and the field perspective, you start to understand things like um, the best ideas don't always come from corporate or from the U.S. field team. Sometimes there are great yeah. ideas that come from other parts of the world and being open to those and trying to figure out how do you help those teams and potentially bring those ideas to a global scale and share those with others can create great opportunities for you in your own career growth, but also in just the overall results you drive for the business. 
but you've got to be open to it. So learning about it by doing those roles, I think, really helps. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that the other thing that I would kind of, I guess, it, not advice probably isn't the right word, but, um, you know, it's just saying yes um, and kind of taking the risk on that. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of unknowns, um, kind of for me personally and professionally going into it, but, you know, just saying yes and being willing to do that to, to try new things, um, I think recognizing it as a growth opportunity, however it played out, um, was, was really important. And I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that I'm proud of and it's, it's something that I would encourage others to do as well as just, you know, think about the, the longer term benefits. Yeah, it's an amazing experience, but, um, you know, putting yourself in, an, in a potentially uncomfortable situation or, you know, risk to a certain degree is, um, is a is a is a learning experience for sure. Yeah, well, that's what they uh, the expression something uh, you don't become a great sailor by uh, sailing on calm seas or something to that effect, right? So you know, a little discomfort's good, right? Get, so let's uh, kind of pivot now and talk about Splunk. So you joined Splunk three years ago, I think this month, right? So happy anniversary! Yeah. Three years that Thanks. probably feels like a bit longer. Uh, when I, I was trying to reorient myself around Splunk too because we've been working together for a few years now. So Averitech works with Splunk, which has uh, been really great for us to, to watch you guys grow. Uh, but 10 consecutive quarters of beating market expectations, right? The stock market is not easy to please, but 10 consecutive quarters. That was the article I found on Motley Fool about Splunk. So uh, I think I knew you guys were growing fast, and we've obviously you know, tried to support that growth with the work we do with you and your channel partners. But when you're in a high-growth environment, you come with this great experience from BMC. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what was there as far as a channel program when you joined Splunk and kind of talk about some of the things that you built over the last three years there? Yeah, and there were, there were shades of a partner uh, program there. We had partners um, when, we, when we walked in the door, or when I, excuse me, when I walked in the door. Um, but really, kind of what I saw in Splunk, and one of the things that excited me about coming to about coming and joining the organization was was the opportunity to get in there and, and really build it. Um, one thing that you know it, it's been great. I joined when I joined Splunk. I think it, we were probably just around 500 million, maybe a, maybe a little under. Um, and, and obviously now we're kind of we're we're getting ready to kind of eclipse that billion, which is it's been a fun journey on that front. Um, but the, uh, but when I got there, it, it was, it was really a bill, it was a clean slate. Um, and that can be intimidating, um, to, to a certain degree. Uh, but I saw it again as, as that opportunity. It was, um, you know, I had some great experiences and gotten to do some really fun things with BNC, but I've never really you know, built something like this from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the first thing I did when I joined it was me and um, Andy, who is who is still on my team. Um, she she is the the only one on the, the partner marketing team that predates me. Um, but it was just the two of us when when we walked in the door and we were really focused on Americas. And so I we took a look around and we're like, okay, like, you know, how do we scale? Like, where do we start with something like this? Mm -hmm. And um, Looking at that, which is what I prompted us to reach out to you uh, and, and Averitech, and we thought, okay, you know, it's, we're, we're two people, like we, we can't do everything. What is the, what are kind of the foundational elements that, that we need right. um, in order to 
to better support our partner ecosystem and, and try to grow on that. And at this point, we were purely just looking at it from a, from a marketing perspective. Um, and so that's really what prompted us to, to get Veritech and to lay that foundation so we actually had something where we could, could help support and roll out and, and drive things in a much more programmatic way. So that was step one, was just like make ourselves bigger than, right. than we were um, internally. So um, then, you know, it's, there were a couple of, of really big turning points, and we've, we've kind of been going through this, this maturity curve from a partner marketing perspective, but a big uh, turning point, too, was when um, we really started to get some of the, um, some of our, our current uh, partner leadership team into, into place as well. So um, Brooke Cunningham is now the AVP of Global Partner uh, Programs, Operations, and Marketing, so she's my boss, um, which has been great in driving that linkage between all elements of the partner program, really focusing on our build out of each of those um, aspects is something that's been really beneficial and really where we've started to see things starting to hum. And so, you know, what we've been able to do, you know, since it was just a from a two-man show until, until what we've been able to do to do now today has, has been really pretty pretty dramatic in a, in a short amount of time. Um, these, these things are coming together. But we really look at, um, at everything, um, it, whether, it's, whether it's marketing or whether it's the programs, we're really trying to look now at the partner experience and think about it with that in mind. Mm -hmm. So we, we moved the hurdle from when I first walked in the doors to the two-man show, like, okay, it's, it's all about scale. It's still about scale, but really it's, it's with the partner experience in mind just as much as we, we take the customer experience in mind. So what does that look like and how can we up-level that from a marketing perspective? So that's where we've added things to the marketing program, working with like the concierge, um, you know, we just implemented a new portal, which was obviously very important to have the single sign-on integration with our marketing hub, which is what we call our Veritech um, instance. Yep. Um, and thinking about that holistically from the partner experience so that they can have a one-stop shop and then get the communications, which is something that I've also taken on as well, um, and so they can receive the information and talk and communicate with Splunk that makes the most sense for them. So depending on their business model, they can, they can grow and, um, and, and drive that, that business, um, mutually beneficial, obviously, yeah. um, in the way that makes the most sense for them. Yeah, that's great. Um, we do have a couple of questions here. Let me tee up the first one for you. So when managing a global program, do you find it's worth it to have local people running each region as opposed to having someone leading from abroad? Uh, and what else do you consider when building teams to manage a certain region? Yeah, so I think having the local touch points is really important. Um, whether or not those people report directly to you or not, I don't think that matters. Um, frankly, um, we're all a team um, and, and everybody is working towards a common goal. We're very explicit in terms of understanding what our, what our mission is and what our priorities and initiatives are to, to get us there. Um, that's, we take a, do a pretty healthy exercise in terms of planning and making sure that everything we're doing is aligning to those objectives. Mm -hmm. So what the reporting structure looks like really isn't that important. Sure. So as I look at what the global team is that I'm working with, not everybody um, is a direct line report to me, but I think it's important to have somebody with a, with a partner-focused mindset in each region um, operating in that, in that manner and using it as, as bi-directional communication for us. Sure. Um, in the same way that I kind of have a, that we have a good pulse in terms of what's going on at the corporate level, um, 
pivot to the local resources to help drive that, that message and interpret that into what it means and what makes sense for the region um, on, that, on that front. And then likewise, to use them as a pivot to what's going back, what's working, what are those needs, what are those changes. Um, you know, be really honest. Um, you can only be in so many, open so many places at once. So I do make it a point to try to, to get over in the region um, at, least a, at least a few times a year. But um, I'm never going to be able to know everything that, that, that feet on the street are, are going to be able to, uh, to provide. So we, we accomplish that in a couple of different ways. So there's uh, folks that are just explicitly dedicated to, to partner marketing. Um, and then we also work very closely with our field marketing teams as well um, to, to, kind of, to work with our partners, um, specifically the, the reseller partners in, in region as well. So those are the main yeah, there's an expression at least that I created in my own head, but it never really took off, I don't think, with my colleagues when I was at Microsoft, right? I'd say, you know, thinking about regional marketing or global marketing, it's about styles and dials, and maybe that's why it doesn't kind of catch on, but styles, like, everybody's got a local style for how they like to do things, kind of put their own spin, their own flair on it, so kind of creating programs that lets people put their own style to it is one yep. opportunity, and then the dials piece of it is, being able to dial up or down different things. Because, uh, you know, like Splunk, for example, the space that you play in operational intelligence can take on many different themes and use cases. So if you say, you know, security is the hottest one when we're in this market, but others, you know, IoT or something like that is bigger in others. I don't know. You know, like you obviously know a lot more about Splunk, but that's a little bit that I know. Uh, but it's giving people giving people the opportunity to figure out, like, if it's big for you, go big with it. If it's not as big, but having that engine mentality, like we're going to put engines and kind of core programs in place, but it's up to your regions of how much you take advantage of one versus the other and dial it up or dial it down, depending on what the opportunity is in the market or with your partners or what local laws and, you know, the governance that people have to deal with. There's a lot of different opportunities, but uh, it sounds like you've got that kind of partnership with your teams globally in the way that you're working with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the one thing that I feel like I'm, Again, kind of going, coming full circle and going back to having had that experience of, of living and working in region and, and knowing what it's like, having that recognition um, that, there, that, that often there is a difference uh, can be really important. And I, and I do try to, to keep that lens, even today, kind of being back at, at, in corporate, but um, also just listening, um, yeah. I think, is a, is a really good key on that front. So it's, this isn't a dictatorship. Um, and going back to some of the, the, what I learned while I was living over in Australia was that a lot of the programs and the experimentation that we were able to do um, with some of our programs that happened in region and then leverage those in, in other areas as well, I, I keep that in mind too. So a great example is um, our uh, EMEA partner marketing lead is, is working on a great program uh, with our distribution partners over there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that. And, that was one thing that, you know, is you look at kind of all of her, we, we're not in a two-tier model when I walked in the door, so we've launched that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a do. And, uh, and so there's, uh, she's, been, she's been leading with that. It's a really great program, and we're, we're looking at kind of that as a best practice. And again, it kind of just goes to, um, you know, she's, she's experimenting and leveraging and, and kind of doing things that work for her market, and we're able to take that and look at that. And, how that might work for, for other markets as well. And, um, yeah, so it's good ideas come from, from a lot of different places, not just corporate. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, another, you know, of these things. I read too many things maybe, but something the other day I, that caught my eye on LinkedIn, I think it was, you know, someone saying as a leader, um, you know, take all the, the blame, uh, but give away all the credit, right? So it's like when you're working with the field teams, as long as you're giving them credit for the ideas and, and you're kind of taking them and turning them to best practices you can run as global programs, you know, give it all away to them, like, you know, and just know that the business is getting better and stronger because of the work that you're doing to support them in a, I think that they appreciate that. So um, we've got a couple of uh, questions here. We'll try to maybe hit these quickly as we head towards the uh, the top of the hour. But uh, question is, uh, what are your thoughts on the role of scorecards in identifying partner strengths or partner improvement areas and helping build more capable and motivated partners? On scorecards, um, that's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a good thing. Um, and just a little more generally in terms of, of, of how I look at, at our business and, and how we measure and monitor partner marketing and that value at Slum mm -hmm. um, is that we, I do use a scorecard um, internally in terms of how we're progressing against our priorities and initiatives. Um, we are working through that from a programmatic perspective um, in terms of and that's a, a project working with um, you know our programs team in terms of what does that look like in terms of overall uh, contribution there but um, you know I, I do think scorecards work that clearly articulates at least in terms of, kind of where everything is generally red light yellow light green light um, against those common goals um, so I, you know I, I think they work especially in terms of, kind of articulating um, you know, a lot of information in a relatively easy and digestible format. Mm -hmm. so let's be honest, we're all dealing with a lot of information right. um, on a daily basis. So um, it, it are, is, does it tell the whole story? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But is it a good way to kind of um, capture that, uh, kind of a, a high-level summary? Yeah, I think, it, I think it works. So I don't know if that actually addresses the question, um, but hopefully it is yeah, that's good. Um, final question that we have time for here is, how do you do partner business planning, marketing planning, QBRs today? Are they important? How are they implemented and reported? Important, yes. Um, and that is that is an element that, that frankly, we're still working on. Yeah. So I can speak to from a, from a marketing perspective, and I think this is, um, you know, obviously that's that's the area that, that I, you know, can control yeah. <laughs> and can contribute to. It's uh, how we do it. We, we do look at uh, running on a, a quarterly plan, a quarter plus. Um, some of the things that, that we're looking to do is to make sure that that always aligns to a business plan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we are, we have an amazing partner ecosystem and, um, you know, there's, there's only somebody that we can really focus on um, and manage internally. We, we do look to our distribution partners to, to help manage um, the, the broad, uh, the broadest set of partners that we do manage the uh, a subset of that internally. So from that perspective, you know, we do expect those each of those partners to have a business plan in which the marketing plan aligns to. Um, you know, and, and looking at what are some of those goals um, that we have uh, specifically from in terms of a from a business accomplishments and objectives perspective, and how does marketing align to that, and what are the things that are going to help drive that those mutually agreed upon goals and objectives. And so that, I do think that's important. We um, have launched MDF, which is another exciting thing. So again, high growth companies, some of the things that, that might seem pretty, um, 
pretty common, uh, weren't necessarily were common until uh, until probably relatively recently in the uh, in the Splunk um, life. Yeah. <laughs> so having that, and so we we do have our NDF um, associated with some of those key. Um, objectives and things that, that we want to tie to. And so those requests that we are we're coming in are, are aligned to those plans as well. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's an evolution for sure, but it's, it's very important. From a cadence and kind of QBR perspective, yes, we, we do look at those um, and we do have those um, that we go back to the plan and, and report on. So it's, um, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the... As you're, as you're building and you're kind of putting things together, it's also giving yourself permission to not have everything in place all at once, right? It's kind of like actually when you're a newlywed couple and you buy a house or something like that, right? Like you come in and like you identify a whole bunch of things that you might want to address, but the reality is you can only deal with so many things at a time. So you prioritize, you figure out what are the must-haves, what are the nice-to-haves, and then you phase things in over time. And as the business evolves too, you may have come in and thought you needed one thing and then by the time you get there and have the opportunity to do it, the need changed and now something else. And so it's being flexible and agile, I think, you know, is a good set of skills, which I've seen, you know, in kind of my observation of you and the team there as you've grown, you've demonstrated that agility and the flexibility to always kind of figure out what is the business need now and try to plan for the future, but knowing that the future is, uh, is a moving target. So it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to those a common uh, mission mm -hmm. uh, and then having priorities and initiatives aligned in a kind of bite-sized pieces, and, the, and that's how we do it. I mean, it's the, the opportunity and, and what we've seen at Splunk is, is phenomenal, um, and I'm just super happy and excited to be a part of it, um, but, but how, do, how do we build that where you can't do everything at once? Um, yeah. You know, even if at a team three times the size, you still wouldn't be able to do it um, all at once. So, yeah. you know, just strategically kind of aligning to what are those things that, that make the most sense at that time. And again, as you said, being agile to to, to pivot as needed is great, but, but always make sure that you're doing everything and making your decisions with your, your objectives and your priorities in mind. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, we're at the end of our time, so I want to say thank you, Jess, for spending the time with us and sharing some of your story and your career. I think there's a lot of good uh, nuggets of wisdom from the, the career that you've had so far. Uh, we're excited to have been uh, a part of the work with you at Splunk, and we certainly wish you and the Splunk team all the best as you keep on going and, uh, and keep on growing. So thanks, everybody, for joining us on our office hour session today. Jessica, thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for having me. All Bye, right. everybody. Thanks. Bye.